Um, before I uh, get into my message, I just want to share a couple of things that I feel like the Holy Spirit shared with me just today, uh, and hopefully you can you could take it, receive it, or reject it. It's up to you. Uh, um, so one of the one of the things the Holy Spirit shared with me was He said that peace precedes purpose. Um, peace precedes purpose, and so it's just this idea that you know we come to God as we should, and we have our situations, our circumstances, the things that we're believing for, whether it be financial, physical, uh, whatever it it may be. Um, And I think of the story where the disciples were in the boat with Jesus, and um, there was a storm, right, that was taking place, and the disciples were panicking. So, but Jesus was sleeping. And so the whole idea is that, you know, Jesus, yes, in the story, he rebuked the storm and he calmed it, Um, But he rebuked them because of their lack of faith. In other words, he was in perfect peace, but they weren't. And so I think one of the things that I think the Holy Spirit is challenging me, and perhaps he might be challenging you, is that continue to believe uh, the Lord for what you're believing for, but God wants you to have peace in your situation, no matter what it is, no matter what the storm looks like. It's possible to have peace. How many believe that? It's possible to have peace. I know, and if you don't believe it, that's okay. Uh, It is hard to believe sometimes, but it's possible to be in perfect peace, even if your surroundings, your situations may not line up. I mean, there's people today, Holy Spirit shared this with me, there's people today that are across the world that are locked up in prison, and they are more free in Christ than people that are on on the inside, than people that are free walking around, so to speak, physically, but are in bondage. Amen? So peace, peace, peace precedes uh, purpose. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share that. It doesn't have anything to do with my message. Um, so you can receive that. Um, all right, so, you know, I just want to, uh, I want to share a word, uh, and I'll, I'll start off with just a little quick story. So uh, this, was, this was last year. Uh, no, is it last year? I guess it's two years ago now. Um, we drove my, my car down to, to Florida, and so this was like, post-2020. I wanted to do my first, you know, big family vacation. And, um, and so around, I think it was uh, Georgia-ish, something somewhere in there, I started smelling this really weird smell, like burning smell in the vehicle. And um, I don't know where my mind went, but I just, you know, rolled down the window. I said, man, like the, the, the atmosphere smells weird in Georgia. You know, I just kind of de- never associated that smell with, uh, with my vehicle. And so ultimately, like, we made it down safely, and we returned safely, and, and I really just ignored, you know, that, what I was smelling. Um, until, until later on, you know, that year, I went in for a oil change inspection and found out that I needed something called a new torque converter. Does anybody know what a torque converter is? <laughs> and if you do, you're probably like, uh-oh. Uh, I didn't know what it was at the time. Uh, I learned what it was. It's basically this awesome uh, engineering invention creation that allows us to have automatic transmission. So instead of, you know, shifting and doing and driving and having, you know, a workout, I guess, if you will, while you're driving, like you all used to do, some of you all back in the 70s or whatever. Uh, I've never driven a manual, man, no, 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 no shade at all. I've never driven a manual car, but um, this tor- torque converted allows us to all drive, you know, automatic transmissions. And unfortunately, I needed a whole new one, so it, it cost me a, a pretty penny. Thankfully, my whole transmission didn't go, but just this particular piece. And so I, I started, the Lord, as I was preparing this message, the Lord took me back to that experience. And, um, you know, he told me, like, much like my trip, we in our, in our, in our lives and on our uh, stints in our faith journey, we tend to 
uh, go on, you know, long stints, I guess, if you want our journey, fulfilling our assignments and, um, you know, meeting with people and, and, and doing all the things that we do in ministry and in life uh, without scheduling time for maintenance and often ignoring symptoms. I just want to read two quick verses. Uh, Romans chapter 10 and 9, and these should be familiar to you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is a part of what we call the Romans road, you know, the road to salvation that lays this out. And so, and so I, I believe this verse. You know, how many believe this verse? Like, I, I believe this verse, right? Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. But then there's some other scriptures. And I, I, this next one I call the scariest verse in the Bible. Um, and it's Matthew chapter, a couple series of verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, look. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, he's talking about the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and they'll start, you know, their list. They'll, be, they'll, start, they'll have their list ready. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons, heal the sick, blah, 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 blah? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so I call this a scariest verse because it's pretty sobering. I mean, how is it that these people that have cast out, casted out demons are still going to end up in hell, you know? And this is in Jesus' words, right? And so, you know, I've wrestled with God on this, you know, this, this kind of uh, dichotomy, if you will, for some time. It's like God says in the Bible, on one hand, I don't have these references, but he, there's a scripture that says he doesn't want anybody to perish. And I believe that God is that way. He's an all-loving God, all-merciful God. And he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Hell was not designed for us. But then on the other hand, it says that there are just those that are predestined or the elect that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So I'm like, you know, which one is it, God, right? And, um, and Paul even says in one of his writings, he says, I die daily, right? Like I, I, I'm saved, but I'm also in the process of being saved. I die daily, Right? And so I just want to propose to you this evening that there is this, I call these formations. Um, I try to not use the word goal. Uh, I did a message on that some time ago, but it's just the idea of a rhythm or a cadence in your walk with the Lord. And it really ought to be evident in the life of every believer. Okay, this specific rhythm that I'm going to unpack this evening tonight, Pastor Clarence. And so... Before I read the key verse, and, I, and I, I'm not, before we put it up, well, it's already up there, too late. Okay, try not to read it. <laughs> I was trying to set it up a little bit. Um, but just to set a little bit of context, for those that don't know, I mean, there's, um, so, so Paul, the great apostle Paul, I won't go into his whole back story, um, but he was directly and indirectly responsible with a lot of these churches that were effectively kind of set up uh, post-Jesus' resurrection um, really in the Mediterranean kind of area, right? And so a lot of the, 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 the books of the Bible that we have in the New Testament are, are simply just letters uh, written from, from Paul. And so um, you might wonder, like, you know, you know, why is there a first and a second Corinthians? Well, so, so part of the reason is um, a lot of these churches, it, you know, if you, you look into this, uh, Paul would set up very quickly. Uh, he, he'd probably visit the, visit the area and do what he do, do what he do, do his thing and set up the church in a week and maybe check up uh, with them on, you know, sending them a letter. And we've got, you know, Ephesians and Galatians and so on and so forth. Um, but there's something unique about the city of Corinth in that it was a port city. If anybody knows what a port city is, it's typically a city that's like right on water where you have ships that come and go and, and uh, facilitate uh, trade. 
And so what's unique about Corinth is it was actually a, a kind of a natural land bridge, if you will, where it was surrounded on water on both sides. So it was like a dual port. And you okay, get why does that matter, right? Well, the significance there is as commerce and trade would take place in this city, uh, there was many people coming and going throughout the city. And as a result, there were many different conflicting ideologies to the word of God, certainly, but just in general, many ideologies, many different types of ways of belief, many types of gods. And uh, much, much like you know, our nation today, a lot of those you know, worldly ideologies were creeping into the church. And so if, if you have that context, when you go back and read, and I encourage you to do it, go read First and Second Corinthians. Uh, Paul literally is addressing these sometimes, um, you know, talking with the brother before the service, he, you know, this word messy, but some of these real messy, real life like scenarios, it's kind of eye opening. Some of them, I won't, I won't share them and, and spoil it up here right now. Uh, but it's really under this backdrop in, in first, I want to read this key verse. And it's in second Corinthians chapter 13, five and six. I really think the message um, it, it kind of adds a lot of color to this verse. And so this is an admonishment to these people, but I would suggest to you that this is something that, that God wants to admonish us today. And he says, test yourself to make sure you are solid in the faith. Do not drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, watch this part. If you fail the test, do something about it, right? It's like how many remember going back in grade school and it's like, you know, you get Fs or Ds or Cs, whatever on the test. And that's, you know, we all get Fs, Cs and Ds. And that, well, all that happens to pretty much every, everyone, right? Um, well, maybe there's some that, you know, they're just naturals. But all the rest of us, it happens. The issue is not it happening, right? I just want to encourage you. The issue isn't it happening. The issue is what do you do after? And that's, that's really my heart behind this whole message, you know, what, do you, what is your response if you fail? Okay? Thank God for grace. Amen? And so Lamentations 3 and 40 says, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the God. So I really want to emphasize this point and, and hear me very clearly. The heart of the Father in all of this is to not create doubt for one's salvation. So I'm not here this evening to have you second guessing, oh, am I not saved, you know, and, and get paranoid about that. Uh, that's not the, the, the heart of the Father, okay? But rather to simply encourage a regular cadence whereby we intentionally invite the Holy Spirit to perform examinations on us, okay? I've, I've been sharing this with people, and this is not really part of my message, but I don't have the verse, but there's a verse in, in the New Testament that talks about us, uh, you know, back in, back in you know, the, the Old Testament, they would bring, um, you know, animal sacrifices, and those animals were not uh, willing participants, okay? They didn't, oh, I want to be sacrificed. You know, this goat raises his, his, his hoof, right? No, they were ushered in to be sacrificed. But the Bible talks about in the New Testament that now we are to become a living sacrifice, meaning we are to be willingly laying down our lives daily, as Paul said. But here's what happens. Like, we lay down our life, and the Holy Spirit gets out his, you know, supernatural scalpel to do heart surgery on us, he makes one little cut, and we, oh, I'm, I mean, we, and we, get off the, we get off the platform, right? And we wonder why it takes so long for us to obtain uh, deliverance, for us to grow, because we just, we, we can't rest long enough in the presence of God for him to work in here, right? Where only the Holy Spirit can work. 
And so I want to encourage you that this is not a, con- a message of condemnation. This is a message uh, because there might be some hard truths presented here this evening, but it's one just to encourage this rhythm in your life. Again, I love the idea of formation because it's, it's the idea that it never ends, right? It says he is the, the potter, we are the clay, and he's just constantly molding us, right? To the day we take our last breath on earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so this is what Paul meant when he urges us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Um, those words, if you look those up in the Greek, work out and fear and trembling, trembling they basically uh, mean to, to bring something to completion or fruition. And then trembling is basically healthy reverence. And so, again, it's not this idea of paranoia. It's this idea of saying, you know, I'm really going to take my, walk, my, my faith walk with Christ serious. Because God loves you. He loved you enough, as the brother said, to, to send his only son to die on the cross for our sins. But he still loves you the same to not leave you the same way. Amen. And so this, I, this, if, you're, if you're saved and you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior this evening, uh, it doesn't end there. Right. It's a, it's a lifelong pursuit of this idea of sanctification, which basically means coming, becoming like Christ, which I'll, I'll show you here in a little bit. And so 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 one more verse and then we'll, we'll pray. Um, you know, David was a you know, man after God, God's own heart, and he did the same thing. Psalm 139, I don't have the specific verse, but, you know, search me, a famous verse, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. So it's just this on, ongoing rhythm of God performing heart surgery on you. And so here's the one caution, the one caveat I will propose to you this evening. I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know where you're at with God personally, uh, but there's one thing you must have. Um, if you are going to move forward in your next steps in your journey with Christ. And that's what I call the soft heart requirement. You must have a soft heart. You must have a soft heart. I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me not too long ago that, you know, he told me like, you know, Pharaoh's firstborn son didn't have to die. He didn't have to. But Pharaoh chose to continually harden his heart. You ever wonder like why all of the gymnastics with all of the, the plagues? You know, why not just in one fell swoop, because God could have done it, one fell swoop, just deliver Israel out of bondage. He could have done that, right? He could, God could do anything. Why all the plagues? And the Holy Spirit showed me, it's like, I'm, I'm, even in my judgment, I'm merciful. I give chances, and I give chances, and I give chances. But you have to have a soft heart. Pharaoh did not do that. He hardened his heart. And so humility is the key ingredient, not perfection. Amen? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us to have a soft heart. I, I know that life uh, has dealt many of us a poor hand, that uh, we have experiences that are contrary to some of the things that I'm saying, but break our hearts anyways, Lord God. Penetrate the, the, the hard, callous shell and allow your word to penetrate deeply, Father, in the, in the name of Jesus. Pray that you would give me the words to say, Lord, and help me get out the way this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. And so what I want to do the rest of the time is just present three, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you go into the doctor's office and, you know, you give them your insurance information, and then what's the next thing they do, right? They give you this medical questionnaire where you got to like, when's the last time you got stung by a bee and you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And so they give you this long form to fill out. And so in a similar fashion, I think, you know, one of the things I want to, I want to give you are just, you know, three suggestions, and the Holy Spirit may, may provide more, but, but three questions, and these are difficult questions, so, you know, so, so just try to stay with me to the end. I mean, this is, if you ever feel like you're squirming in your seat, just look back and say, like, this is for me. Like, I'm talking to myself, meaning, <laughs> meaning me up here, okay? Um, but there are three questions to take before the Holy Spirit and allow him to 
to do what he does, okay? All right, so number one, am I a lover of truth? Am I a lover of truth? Again, when you're in your prayer closet, when you're in a time with the Lord, um, these are questions that we ask God, and as we do that, God will begin to reveal the depths of what's in here, the depths of what's in our heart. A lot of which the things that we do are, are in what we call the subconscious area, meaning we're not consciously trying. You ever like, you know, you're driving, don't admit to this, you're driving down the street and some, you're fine, you're worship music on and somebody cuts you off and then you like, you know, flip, flip them off, right? Like it's just, it's a reaction. But you just came back, you just came out of the church. It's like, how did that happen? Well, that's in the subconscious. It's those deep parts, those reactions that God wants to clean up. Okay? And, say, and so here's a couple more questions that'll follow up. How do you respond when you hear a lie? Does truth matter to you? How do you discern what is true versus what is a lie in the first place? Are your ears inclined to receive only what feels good, but not necessarily may be good for you? Do you love truth no matter what the situation is, no matter how high the cost, no matter how much it hurts, or do you take comfort in lies? I know. I'm sorry. I hope it'll, it will get better. I think, yeah, it will. It will. Let me, let me pick on myself a little bit. Uh, I, I played basketball in, in all through growing up, and, and, and I was generally this tall when, when I was in middle school. So I was about six foot, and there was me and two other kids in the whole, my whole class that were my height. And so my philosophy was I'm a center and nobody's taller than me and I'm going to go out there and dominate, which, which I did you know, throughout my middle school years. And until, until towards the end of middle school, early high school, I went to this tournament in Florida and there was like some future NBA players that were at this tournament. I didn't know they were going to go to the NBA back then. I thought I was going to the NBA, but uh, it was, it was eye opening how much bigger and stronger and faster these kids were in like the eighth grade, I think it was. And, um, but, but my mindset was, I'm tall, so nobody down here is going to block my shot. And so, you know, we start playing, and, and I start getting my, block, my shot blocked <laughs> a lot. And um, it wasn't until after the tournament. We ended up doing very poorly, and then we actually did wet. We were in a consolation bracket, but then we did well in the consolation bracket. But we took a team picture. And not only was... I'm not as tall as I thought I was playing against other players, but I was probably like the third shortest player on the team, <laughs> right? And so, and so I was faced with a decision, though, right? Here's the point. The point is, is truth was exposed to me. I was literally the third tallest player on the team, and I had a decision to make between that point and the rest of my career. I said, I could either continue to play like a center and think that I'm taller than everybody and not get my shot blocked, but yet still get it blocked, or I could start to make adjustments to the way I play the game. Right? And, and that's what I ended up doing and, and getting, uh, carving out a, an okay career in high school. Let me give you another example. Um, I think about, you know, I love to give you, if you heard me speak at all, you, you know I like to get food examples. I think that speaks to my personality. Um, but you think about, I remember growing up, um, you know, we, I never, I don't know if I ever had a meal that I just had water as my beverage. Uh, I, I always had juice. Like we had the things that, I don't know if people remember the cans of concentrated juice. You pour it in, and, and, and that was like my, every time I came home from school, got off the bus, my mother would say, you know, make some juice for, for the family, and, you know, that was my, one of my, my little tasks, and I exclusively had juice, <laughs> like, growing up, and it wasn't until not too long ago, I mean, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, where I started to realize that uh, juice has sugar, <laughs> okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, it's almost exclusively sugar, and that is very, 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 very bad for you, 
Um, and so I had a decision to make, right? When truth is, is presented to you, what do you do? And so now, this is not a braggadocious statement, this is just, uh, it's been a formation of mine, but I would say most days, the vast, vast majority of days, I exclusively drink water. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I drink. And so, so, so that's kind of how I move forward. Uh, um, I'll share one more on, on food. It's, uh, it's kind, of, kind of silly, but you remember these, these commercials uh, that came out, um, I don't know, it's probably been a while now, but it was this, this whole idea of like, you know, Subway eat fresh, right? Like, like Subway sandwiches are healthy because they had this one guy that was like supposedly losing weight eating sub sandwiches, okay? And so for the longest time, I, I thought like sub sandwiches are like the most healthiest food you can ever eat, okay? Until I started getting some truth exposed to me about not only the, the, the bread on the sandwich, but also the lunch meat and pretty much everything on the sandwich, okay? You know, sandwiches, just, and if that's news to you tonight, okay, just, just do what I did and just take it and do your research or whatever. Um, and so as a result, I had to make a decision about, my, about how I viewed sub-sandwiches. Um, one more, on a more, I guess a more serious note, I mean, I, I struggle because I come from a background, and it's a little bit more prevalent today, but my, my father's African-American, my mother's white, and so um, uh, if you couldn't tell, that's kind of my, my makeup. And... Uh, <laughs> So, so growing up, I, I, I never was, um, I never quite fit in anywhere, you know, like I had friends all over, but I, I struggled a little bit with my personal identity uh, growing up because of culturally, I just didn't look like everybody around me. I'll get around my, my, my black side of the family and, you know, not quite the same and get around the white side, not quite the same. And so, and every, you know, I had a great childhood. I'm not going down that path. I, I, I was very fortunate and blessed, but the point was I struggled with my identity a little bit. And it wasn't until I started to realize that my identity, my true identity is in Christ. So I could start to see who I really am when I get connected to the one who made me. And that set me free. Amen? Amen. And so, um, and so it's just this, 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 this truth of, this reality of truth, the point I'm trying to make is about truth, of when it is, when it is exposed to you, what do you do? What's your response? I like this, this movie, and if for those that have kids, I'd encourage you if you haven't seen it, but has anybody seen this movie? It came out, I think, last year. I took my kids to see it. It's called The Bad Guys. I think it came out last year. It's a, it's a cartoon movie. It is unbelievably prophetic. Uh, if you get a chance to watch this movie, I'd encourage you to do it. It's a kid's movie. And I went back and watched it a second time, and I feel like I want to do a message on it one time. Like, I don't want, but um, I won't spoil it, but the point is, is that the worst lies, the worst lies, often have the appearance, the appearance of good, right? The worst lies. And so um, I think when you think about that, I'll read Psalms 145, chapter 18. It says, I love this. It says, the Lord is near to all who call to him or call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Like a lot of people profess the name of Jesus or reach out to God, but there is this fancy word, a presupposition they have. Like there's this, this prerequisite. I'm going to reach out to you, God, but you got to line up and fit in this box. As opposed to just, I'm reaching out to exactly who you are in truth. John 8 and 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I mean, the three examples I gave in all three of those, I can share some bad ones, but all three, I was set free, right? It was for my benefit. Truth is for your benefit. See, <clears throat> The reason why truth often seems inconvenient is because the Holy Spirit is not here to convenience you in the first place, but rather to convert you. Let me say that one more time. The reason why truth often seems inconvenient, because um, it does hurt, 
is because the Holy Spirit is not here to convenience you, but rather to convert you. That's the objective. And this is the prevailing theme. I won't, I won't keep sharing that, but it's, as I continue to go, this is the prevailing theme, conversion. Um, when, when God declares something, it's final. There's no plan B. And Jesus always told the truth. And so Jesus's, this is another key point, is that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not only about accepting us the way that we are, but I've already kind of alluded to this earlier, but about offering a way for us to become like him, okay? So again, it's this idea of he saw, just like Pastor Dominic shared this past Sunday, I mean, he saw your sin, you know, past, present, and future, right? He saw all of it, and he still died on the cross, and you're still forgiven. But that's only where the story begins, right? It's, it's now an avenue for us to become like him. This is why, you want to write this down or remember this, this is a key point. Christ came to save sinners, not society. Christ came to save sinners, not society. Revelation is very clear on how this world, this side of heaven, if you will, this time will end. Christ came to save sinners. There are many that will reject Jesus. And he, Jesus said that himself. Narrow is the way, right, that leads to righteousness. Wide is the path that leads to death and destruction. Many will follow that way, okay? So this is one of the big reasons why Christ came to save sinners, not all society. You know, when we read uh, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Romans chapter 1. I mean, it's so rich. There's so much there. And when I encourage you to all to read that particular chapter, among other verses, it tells us that society openly rejects the truth. And we see many of that today. I mean, it's not hard today. I mean, you just, you know, any social media, any news outlet, any, it's very plain in its day, at least to me, of, of how uh, boldly people reject the truth of the Word of God. And so when, when the truth of God is received, it has a way of penetrating deep, beginning and continuing its sanctifying work, leaving us changed forever. And so I'll ask again, do you pursue and receive truth in every area of your life? That's number one. Number two. Do I receive and rebuke correction from the Holy Spirit? And again, these questions are not to condemn. These questions are you to authentically take them before the Lord and ask the Lord and allow him to begin to respond. Do you receive rebuke and conviction, correction from the Holy Spirit? Is your heart soft to the leadings, tuggings, and correction of the Holy Spirit? You know, um, I think, me personally, I think about this church. I've been in this church a little over 20 years. And between all of the many uh, preachers and speakers, uh, in, my, in, in my experience, the, oftentimes the most impactful services, whether it was something like this or a Sunday, um, was when I left church so convicted, I, I lost my appetite. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. But, you know, coming into church, I'm thinking about, man, I can't wait to get to Golden Corral after service, right? And you leave the service, and I'm like, I don't even want to eat it anymore. You know, I said, that wasn't a fun service. But I realized that even though it wasn't necessarily a feel-good message, it grounded my soul and molded me to become more like Christ. It challenged me. And ultimately, it was for my benefit, even though it didn't feel good. You see, here, here's the truth. Much like a loving father, God approves and affirms, but he also convicts. And I think as we, we start to get a better image of what real love is and what a loving father looks like, we'll realize that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is affirmation. It is affirmation. So God doesn't condemn you, but rather his love runs so deep that he goes through great lengths to keep you, um, uh, to, to, to keep you, to keep you. 
I think about um, my parents, like one example I told, and um, my parents were very strict when a lie was told in my household. Like, uh, even a little one. I remember, like, this was a real petty one. This one's so silly, but uh, my, my father was, you know, he had got some, I don't know why, but he had got some, some new, uh, he had got some new cologne. Uh, and, and I don't know, we were just being kids. We started just spraying his cologne all over in his room, you know? It was just like, I don't know what we were doing. And so he came home, like, who sprayed that cologne? And we were like, look, we didn't do it. Like, we're like, you know, lying about it. And we ended up like, they made a huge deal of that. Like they sat us down and uh, had a whole intervention with all the family. Eventually, eventually me and my brother confessed. And that always stayed with me. But the reality was, um, is that what they were demonstrating is, is that even like, like, the, like the Bible says, even a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you let like a little, little lie, it's you know, a little lie by itself, whatever, but if you leave it alone, right, I tell the story, I tell my, my, I just had this conversation with my son, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you a million dollars, and you can, do, you got two choices. You can go outside and pull one weed with your bare hands, or you can go outside and pull one tree with your bare hands, one, that full-grown pear tree we have. Which one are you going to choose? He said, well, I'm going to pull the weed. Yes. It's much easier, right, to deal with something when it's small right? You let it grow and grow and grow and become bigger. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, Hebrews in, in 12 and 6, I mean, this is just giving us insight into the heart of the Father. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so, you know, it's not like when you walk with the Lord, the Lord's just constantly beating you over the, beating you over the head with the Bible. The Lord is expressing his love to you by taking time to rebuke you. And so if you haven't felt the rebuke of the Holy Spirit recently, I just challenge you to say, like, is, is God, you know, are you like Jesus already? Or, you know, or are there might be some things that God wants to address? And again, it's not to condemn. It's just to continue to usher you along and hold you and keep you. You know, as, as, as someone who, who not only accepts, uh, excuse me, are you someone who not only accepts correction, but also uh, even seeks correction? So it's just this idea of like, you know, you, you don't want to just go through life uh, and then you just kind of, well, if I guess if I'm doing wrong, somebody will correct me, but, but be willing to. Hey, am I doing this right? Or, you know, this is why count, accountability as well is, is, is so important. You know, this is, you know, something that David uh, very much demonstrated very well. He was, David, we know David's story. He was far from perfect, okay? It wasn't about perfection. But in, but in uh, Psalms 119, verses 97 through 98, it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. So again, David's looking at the Bible, not as just, or the law, not as just as a blind list of rules to keep, just because I'm strict and I'm religious. No, this is life. This is life. These are for my benefit. I need to pursue this. I need to be corrected, right? You see the difference of the mindset? I mean, it, there's, there's repentance, absolutely, that needs to take place for us to be able to, to walk in that place. And so in some cases, the conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, can actually even save your life. I mean, we heard the story last week, Pastor Jeremiah, and, you know, kind of the sobering story about, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit when he speaks. I mean, a lot of times this stuff, you know, relates even to physical urgency, right? Um, you know, similar to even Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Clarence, you know, talking about uh, the testimony that he shared um, uh, with Pastor Karen a, a couple of uh, Sundays ago. And so, you know, it's not like, a, you know, a, a lash on the finger. I mean, this is to benefit us. So we have to, like, get past, you know, looking at the Bible as just a, a, a list of rules to keep. It's, 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 it's so much more than that. 
Um, <clears throat> you know, I heard a story recently, and uh, it was it was the, it was um, it kind of really I think think demonstrates this point about conviction. And you know, it says you know basically the, the stat was um, uh, I can't remember the specific statistic, but that um, when you think about a rattlesnake, that it's actually you know. The, the baby, like, for, if, I, if I were to ask you, you know, if you, if you were to be bitten by a rattlesnake, which one would you, you know, prefer to be bitten by if you had to? Would you be, prefer to be bitten by a baby rattlesnake or a full-blown adult rattlesnake, right? Like, I think, I think at least me, I'd pick the baby rattlesnake. I mean, would anybody pick the adult rattlesnake? So the, the truth is that baby rattlesnake is actually more venomous than the adult rattlesnake, if you look into this. And so they're actually specifically responsible for more deaths in the United States because people will see a large rattlesnake and they'll avoid it. Oh, that's a rattlesnake. But they'll see the small one and think that's so cute and they'll go play with it. And as a result, they'll get bit. And, and so I think when I heard that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, you know, we, we don't just stand guard and look for conviction uh, from quote unquote big things like, hey, Lord, I didn't do this and I didn't sip this or smoke this, like the, the, the laundry list of typical things. But even the little small things, right? Even the little small baby rattlesnakes, the things that can creep in, the small lies, right? Uh, can end up being the things that are most dangerous, right? And so John 16 and 8 says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, talking about the Holy Spirit. He'll come convicting the, the world, uh, excuse me, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, I, you know, I, I like this quote from Victor uh, Hugo. He's a famous French writer. He says, a good general will penetrate the brain of the enemy. And this is what Satan's all about. And so if you haven't heard this before, I think many of us have been around church have heard this, but the battlefield of the mind, like Satan and his, and, his, and, his, and his minions are constantly, the influence of the world, trying to penetrate your mind. And so there's a reason why. I mean, this is, you know, I'd argue it is the reason why we do things like, you know, we'll mindlessly just flip channels on TV or we'll mindlessly scroll on our phones, right? Or we'll just, you know, we're essentially riding the wave of the agenda of the prince of the power of the air. We're just blindly just like, it's not quote unquote, you know, per se, we're doing a, committing a sin, but we're tapping into just the, you know, not, not, there's no thought process, there's no conviction, we're just following the world. And so you think about, even in recent years, from specific tragedies that, you know, to viral sensations, to uh, you know, even, even noble causes to uh, attach yourself to, you know, the truth is oftentimes um, we wouldn't know anything about that if, if the media hadn't told you to think about that. And it's truly a form of conditioning. You know, so the truth is, is like sin only needs a small foothold. And I think I've made that point. Um, a couple more examples that are kind of a little bit silly that come to mind as I think about, um, you know, Krispy Kreme will do a promotion. And, you know, I, I like Krispy Kreme, but they'll do a promotion. And they'll say, um, here's a free donut, right? And it's like, why do they do that, right? Well, of course, like who, who's going to eat one free donut? You know, I'm not going to go to Fris Krispy Kreme and get one donut. I'm going to get a whole box of donuts, right? Or um, I've heard, you know, people talk about, you know, going into casinos and they'll, you know, they'll register and they'll pull that lever one time and, and win big, right? And it's like, oh, awesome. Like I won. And think that you can keep repeating that. But no, you're, you're sucked in. You're trapped. And so the point is, is that the truth is that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is life-giving. I think there's a lot of things that we feel um, we have under control. 
but we have to realize that our adversary is more crafty than us, right? We can only stand and resist Satan in, in, in this world um, with the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? Like you have to have the conviction, you have to have the voice, as, as Pastor Jeremiah talked about last week, the voice of the Holy Spirit guiding you at all times. So is the Holy Spirit convicting you on a regular basis? And the last one, what kind of fruit am I bearing? What kind of fruit am I bearing? Luke 6, 43-45. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, there was... Um, not that long ago, if you've ever seen these in neighborhoods, there's like these like portable digital speed limit kind of signs. And as you, I think the idea is as you drive towards them, it, it's supposed to like show you and all those around you how fast you're driving. So it's like, oh, I'm driving too fast. Let me slow down. Right. Like um, like that's going to gonna work, you know. And so so they did one of those in our neighborhood not that long ago. And, you know, it, it kind of worked. Um, so we all I, I noticed this one particular street, everybody speeds down, everybody's like slowing down. Until one day, you know, the battery on the thing must have died or something, and it's not showing anymore, and so people just ignore it. And so uh, I feel like the Holy Spirit, when that, when that happened, showed me, you know, it, this was just an attempt to produce fruit with no root. In other words, these people had no interest in permanently curtailing their speed. It was just, you know, let me just do something to quickly um, adhere or appease this sign um, but when it's all over and said and done with, um, this is not going to change my habits of driving. And I think that's very much like um, how sometimes we approach the things of God. You know, Galatians 5 and 23 and 24, famous verse here is talking about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things there are, there's no law, and those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. You, know, you think about certain types of fruit. You know, I, I read that avocados, for example, um, they take five to 13 years to bear fruit. I mean, that's a long time. Peach, peaches, on the other hand, can bear fruit in only two years, right? And so, you know, whether it's a long time bearing fruit for some of us spiritually or even in a short time, the, the point is eventually fruit has to come. Fruit has to reflect the root system that we profess. So the question is, how healthy are your roots? Jesus is saying, essentially, um, you know, eventually whatever you are cultivating in your heart will be put on display for everyone to, dis to see. So if you're cultivating, are you cultivating peace or anxiety? Are you cultivating joy or depression, self-control or self-indulgence? What are you cultivating in your heart? You know, you think about why do trees bloom or bear fruit, depending on the nature of the tree, in the first place. And the answer to this is the, the idea of growth. Growth. You know, I've been you know, alluding to this the whole evening, but all three of these questions all have to all really center around becoming like Christ, becoming like Jesus. And I know we say that a lot, but just to pause to say, God, that's God's desire for each one of our lives, to become like him. It's not too far-fetched, but it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the, the idea of becoming like Christ is the glory of God. And that's, that can be its own message, but 
I just want to emphasize that becoming like Christ is the glory of God. That's what God's after. He's after his glory to emanate all over the earth. That was the case in the Garden of Eden. That's still the case today. And so as believers, we are often told, like, what not to do. And don't do this. Don't do that. And I'd like to submit to you, again, that's too narrow of our focus. Our ability to mature in God is linked uh, to us becoming like Christ. So in other words, it's not so much what being a Christian is what you can't do, the don'ts. It's that we get to become like him. We got to repent and shift our mindset. Our focus, grace is not for, oh, I can, I've got grace and I can just go do whatever I want to do. That's bad thinking. That's not what grace is for. Grace is for us being able to walk this, this path, uh, this journey called righteousness, called sanctification, called becoming like Christ. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 18 says, uh, and this is such a powerful scripture. I mean, this is literally it. It says, and we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so again, the aim is to be like Jesus, not just in walk and talk, but in mind and thought, in all, in all aspects. And so I think I kind of said, said, alluded to this a little bit before, but we often do pray this prayer. And again, I, you know, I want to encourage you to always, always, always take your petitions before the Lord. But I also want you to consider this. We, 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 we often submit this prayer much like Job. We'll say, you know, Lord, dear Jesus, God, dear Jesus, dear God, please change my situation. Please change this thing. I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand this job. I can't stand this relationship. Please change this. But I want to just pause to consider, to have you consider something. Could it be that that situation is meant to change you? So just think about that. Could it be that that situation is meant to make you more patient, more wise, more humble? It's meant to soften your heart. And so when you can't change the things around you, you must first change the, your desires and perceptions that exist within you. You know, uh, this is James chapter 1. Again, you don't hear a lot of messages on James chapter 1. It's, it's, not, a fun, it's not a fun passage, but um, it, it is a place we got to get to. It's a place no matter what, at some point in your life, you have to wrestle with this. And we all eventually will wrestle with this one way or the other. You'll either succumb to it or you'll overcome it. And so it says, we must count it all joy, my brothers, when you see trials of various kinds. So again, you know, probably not a lot of us, me included, that do this today. You know, something bad happens, you get a flat tire. Our first instinct isn't to be joyful about it, let's be honest. But the Bible is telling us to count it as joy. Why? Because we know that the testing of our faith produces something, right? You think about the, the production of fruit. You think about what God wants us to do, becoming like Christ. And so produce a steadfastness, and that steadfastness is having its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. You know, I want to just um, share this story, and then, I, and then I'll get ready to close. And I've heard this story, and it's just, I thought it was very, very, um, you know, prophetic, you know, for, for the time. And it's the story of the, the Chinese farmer. I don't know if anybody has heard this before, but it says, once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. So that's supposed to be you know, a bad thing, right? And that evening, all of his neighbors came around to commiserate. And they said, we are so sorry to hear that your horses run away. That is most unfortunate. But the farmer said, maybe. Right? It's all about perspective. Maybe. And so the next day, the horse actually came back, bringing seven horses with it. And then that evening, everybody else came back and said, oh, isn't that lucky? What a great turn of events. Now you have eight horses. And the farmer just responded again, maybe. 
The following day, his son tried to break in one of those horses, and while riding it, he was thrown off and broke his leg. And so the neighbor said, oh, dear, that's too bad. And the, and the farmer just simply responded with, maybe. And the next day, the conscription officers came around to conscript people, conscript people or draft people into the army, and they rejected his son because he had broken his leg. And again, all the neighbors said, isn't that great? And again, he said, maybe. What's the point? Just like Job, what we need is God's perspective in all things, in all situations, all circumstances. So whatever you're going through this evening, not saying that God caused it, I'm saying that above all, you need God's perspective. You know, the Bible says that all, God causes all things, all things to work to your benefit if you love him and trust him. And so in closing, if the worship team wants to come up, I just want to put up my key verse again. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let's read it one more time. It says, test yourself to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. And so I just want to encourage you as we close this evening, and we can all stand. This rhythm that I'm proposing to you, this every so often, you know, if it's once a month, if it's once a week, once a day, right, to go and present some these questions or others to the Lord and authentically be open for an inward look. And it will help us resist being stagnant in our pursuit to look like Christ. I mean, how many know you're not going to look like Christ by accident and you won't look like Christ overnight? It is an, an, a very intentional, intimate journey. And so number one, in closing, just to review these, keep a soft heart. Don't let pride build walls much like Jericho around your heart. Keep a soft heart. Number two, thirst for correction. Be, be, be honestly passionate about thirsting for correction and conviction. Don't just settle for lies. They're not going to benefit you. It may feel good for just a little bit of time, but it's not going to benefit your soul long term. And number three, just like the pastor said last week, long to hear his voice. Long to hear his voice. Don't comfort in any other voice unless it is echoing that of the Father. You know, I thought about, I think about what the Holy Spirit was sharing last week when Pastor Jeremiah shared this word. And he said, he said you know, Kyle, he said, hearing my voice is much like when you drive out to the countryside to see the stars. I said, really? He said, all those billions of stars are always there. You just don't see them because of all the lights and everything that we got going on. It's not until you get out to the countryside where you can see the stars. That's how God is. He's always talking. He's ready to talk. But we got to just distance ourselves from all the stuff around us, all the voices, all the, you know, noise, right? Another thing the Holy Spirit said, as the pastor was, was, was sharing last week, is um, he said, you know, the other thing is, I, I want to sh share so many things with my people, but honestly, we're afraid of what he has to say. Let's just be honest. Just be honest. We're afraid. But I think the Holy Spirit just wants to reassure you that we have to trust him. Everything that he says is for a good reason, is for a purpose. It could be he wants you to bring out of that, get you out of that relationship, out of that vice. But whatever he says, he's willing not to just say it and expect you to go do it. He's going to take your hand and walk you through it. And he's relentless. He's relentless. He don't care how long it takes. You've been struggling with a vice for 
your whole life. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter how long it takes. He's relentless. He just wants you to be open about it and confess it and walk with him. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, Jesus is talking. He says, my sheep hear my voice, right? So you know you belong to Jesus. So let's, let's bow our hearts. Let's just close our eyes just for a moment in the presence of God. God, you're so good. It's unbelievable. And it's just, it's, un, it's mind-boggling how good you are. We should, be, we should have been gone long ago, Lord. But you decided that we were worth it. And so everybody that's in here this evening, that's breathing air through their lungs, that's grace. As we take each successive breath we take, that's more grace and more grace. There's more opportunity. There's more chances. And just as you spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah and over and over again declared your plans for your people of, of Israel, and they turn their backs on you, Lord God. Teach us, help us, Lord God. Tug on our hearts so, so aggressively this evening that we wouldn't rest with our hearts not being broken and open before you. And so, Heavenly Father, we just, um, we humble ourselves, we submit ourselves to you. We thank you for all that you've done. If there's anybody in here that has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they maybe observed it, they maybe have thought about it, but you want to do it for yourself. The Bible says you just need to believe and in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is not just Savior, but Lord over your life and commit to follow him every day from this point on. And so God, we honor you. Bless the people this evening. Again, we pray that the words fell on, fell on fertile soil and they would pr produce a harvest. We're so excited to see and hear the testimonies of the things that you're going to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. It's been a pleasure being with you this evening. Love you too. Love you too. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. If you need uh, prayer for any reason at all, you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have other prayer needs, I'll be at the altar. Some other altar workers will be up here. But God bless you this evening.